Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew and Jay. Thanks, Ray. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 2. Today's episode was recorded on 18 June 2018, and the episode is sponsored by Instabug. I'm here, as always, with Jay Strawn, my partner in crime and possibly grime, depending on how things go, because today we're diving into the depths of AR Kit. You know, we did our Kotlin last show, now we're going to flip back over to the iOS world, and we have the team from the book AR Kit by Tutorials with us today. So I'm going to start by going through our team members. We've got Chris Language here. Chris is a seasoned coder from South Africa with over 20 years of experience. He's the author of 3D Apple Games by Tutorials. He's also the co-founder of Day of the Indie. Now you can find him on Twitter, Chris Language, which we have in the show notes. Forever coder, artist, musician, gamer, and dreamer. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be on the show again. Well, we'll see if you feel that way after the show as well. <laughs> we also have brought back to the show, and I think for a third time since I've been here, Tammy Corrin is an independent creative professional and the host of Roundabout Creative Chaos, which is a fantastic podcast. If you're not listening to, that's one you need to add in. She's also the co-founder of Day of the Indie, the organizer behind Indie Dev Stock, and the founder of Just Right Code. Tammy, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. And joining the show for the first time, Namrata Bandakar is a software engineer focusing on native Android and iOS development. When she's not developing apps, she enjoys spending her time traveling the world with her husband, scuba diving, and hiking with her dog. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to do my first recording. I'm curious, how, how much hiking with, with your dog have you done? Oh, lots. She can do about 25 to 30 kilometers in a day. We tried it out once and she still wanted to do more. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, what kind of dog is this? She's a Border Collie and Labrador mix. That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> Very energetic. <laughs> Note to self, Border Collie has more stamina than, than I do. That, it's like 25 kilometers. I'd be <laughs> dead. So we are turning to you guys because of the, the fantastic book, AR Kit by Tutorials. And it, I'm really pleased because we have to record the first episode before WWDC. And Chris is going to be talking about the framework. And then later in the show, Tammy's going to be talking about facial recognition. And I know that at least with with all the new AR Kit stuff that's going to be coming out from, from the next release, there's some, some new facial goodies in there as well. Chris, let's talk about the framework for AR Kit. Can you give me a general where you get started when you're using AR Kit? To start somewhere for those folks that has been living under a rock just to explain what augmented reality is in one sentence <laughs> so augmented reality basically describes a user experience that overlays 2d or 3d elements to a live view uh, which is a live feed uh, that comes from your device camera in a way that makes those elements appear to inhabit the real world. So that's just in short what augmented reality is today in Apple's ecosystem. ARKit um, itself combines um, device motion, uh, tracking, camera scene capture, advanced scene processing and display conveniences to simplify the task of building an augmented reality experience. You can use all of those technologies to create many kinds of uh, augmented reality experiences using either the back-facing camera or even the front-facing camera for facial tracking and things like that. So in 
a nutshell, that is what ARKit is all about. Cool. I'm a huge fan of Pokemon Go. And I want to know about those 3D models. What programs do people use? And uh. can you talk about <laughs> the new file extension that Apple debuted at WWDC? So that's the, the immediate misconception that as soon as somebody talks about ARKit, everybody immediately goes to, wow, the 3D graphics is so amazing and it looks so realistic. It's actually got nothing to do with ARKit, the framework itself. <laughs> that That is content that's created by uh, 3D um, programs like uh, Blender and 3D Studio Max and, and all of those types of uh, tools. And those contents are then delivered through a graphics API like uh, SpriteKit or SceneKit, um, Metal or Unity or Unreal and so forth. So, so the gameplay is actually sitting and working with ARKit for the environment. That's correct. But the actual game itself is not ARKit. The ARKit is the is interacting with the environment. Yeah, ARKit does all the background work to put that 3D the, the 3D content into your uh, real world. Um, it's the the mechanism uh, sitting behind the scenes doing all that hard work for you using a whole bunch of different technologies. Um, that is actually quite amazing. You mentioned the the new uh, 3D file format, the USDZ file format. Yeah, they kind of blew me away with that one because um, they're now incorporating augmented reality right into the operating system, which is really cool. And it sort of puts me out of work <laughs> because now anybody can <laughs> go and download uh, this special USDZ file and they can experience augmented reality quite easily by just um, opening up files and um, viewing that 3D content wherever they are where um, up until now, I've been responsible for creating a whole bunch of augmented reality experiences similar to what these USDZ uh, files actually produces. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like a universal way. They all have the same physics or what specifically is it taking away from you? Up until now, there hasn't been real a real specification. So this is a good thing that they're moving to an open um, specification for... <laughs> 3D um, content actually. So the USDZ format is just a, a first step in that direction. So it's, it's, it's very cool. There's some limitations to it. Um, it's not physics based. There's um, obviously I think they're going to improve the, the format, but uh, currently you're limited to only uh, play one animation sequence. They recommend to play things in a loop, and there's a whole bunch of uh, specifications that they ask you to comply to when you create these files. Also, to create one of those files, you you're bound to uh, Xcode command line, okay, which is horrible. Um, the <laughs> the the support for it as well is very limited as well. I think um, it supports uh, OBJ for uh, um, file formats, which is a standard in the three D industry. Chris, I'm I'm curious about something. I know that you and I talked about Creative Cloud in the past, and because they're partnering with Adobe to bring this USDZ format to the cloud and to the Creative Cloud, has that changed your mind as far as is getting the subscription? Are you going to get it or are you going to skip it? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> really? Really? Because that, I mean, that, that for me, that was like, because I was on the fence about whether or not I was going to cancel my creative cloud because I really don't, I don't use it that much. 
But then with Pixar and Apple and Adobe with this whole format, I'm like, oh man, I think I'm going to keep it. <laughs> but you're not going to go get well, it. Well, I'm huh? fortunate enough that I, I've got it through my work. But um, <laughs> personally, I will not go for it. Um, but yeah, you, you can. You don't need it. You can still create the the USDZ format via Xcode command line. Just a little bit more effort, I think. Now, I, I was I was surprised by the file format in that typical, oh, there's something new, and I was, you know, Apple saying they're going to do it with this group and that group. But I will say the one thing that didn't surprise me and continues to not surprise me was Apple saying we're going to push this technology all the way down into the operating system because Apple yeah. seems to have always had a history of coming up with something clever through one app or through one framework and then saying, you know, if we take that technology and we push it all the way down, then as a result, we can push it all the way out into everything in ways that we didn't think of. Absolutely. And this this goes back, I think the first one that really caught my eye, this is going way back in the Mac world to when messages, or I think it was iChat back then, when they basically shuffled the people on your list would self-alphabetize, and it was like amazing to watch all of these names, and effectively this was the, the sorting table view that eventually got pushed down to the OS. So Apple's always had, I think, a very strong feeling about not just bringing in new technology, but bringing in new technology that can be proliferated throughout. Yeah, no, I think it's an amazing step forward for augmented reality. The, the fact that you they've built it right into um, their browser now as well, uh, Safari. So there's very limited amount of codes uh, that you need to use and you can open up a augmented reality experience right out of Safari. So for websites that wants to advertise their products in augmented reality, it just makes sense to go for uh, supporting Safari because you can actually now deliver uh, augmented reality experiences so much easier. Now, I guess we, we, we defined augmented reality and we should sort of, I guess, pedal over to to backpedal away from the difference between AR and VR. With AR, you've still got that connection to your graphics attaching to the real world, whereas VR, you just shut everything out and you're in your own world with your own physics. That's true. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the framework. If it's as simple now as having the file and it'll pop up in Safari, what is there in the framework? What is left for the programmers? What, what, let, let's give the idea of the programmers. What can they do? I know there's still a lot to do. They, they haven't, um, so like I said, the USDZ format is still very limited. One of the big things is the fact that it doesn't really support uh, physics. So you can't really do a lot of that type of interaction with the, the, the models and things like that. You can place something on your table and you can rotate it and scale it and things like that. But you, you cannot interact with it and push it over and let physics take over and, and let it play through it's got limitations to the, the animations and things like that so there's still a whole lot of stuff that you can do outside the realm of usdz does ar kit support being able to interact with these objects in vr natively so one of the things that um, they mentioned in wwdc is that you can use ar kit in a vr environment you can use ar kits um to do that tracking for you. So that's one of the features of ARKit is it does six degrees of freedom tracking. So what that essentially means is three degrees of freedom tracking is tracking your head movement, typically in a VR environment. So it will track your head rotation. That's three degrees of freedom. Where six degrees of freedom comes in is additional, addition to the, the rotation tracking, it tracks movement in 3D space. So if you move your phone up or down, that is uh, 
another degree of freedom tracking that it does for you. So yeah, I was quite surprised that they mentioned that, listen, you can use ARKit for creating VR experiences where you actually take over the whole screen um, and uh, you, you block out the video feed um, entirely and um, you can use it for that six degrees of freedom tracking that you would require. In ARKit 1, the bounding boxes, the, the detection was basically flat on the ground, but now they've also added in the ability to detect the back wall. Is that correct? Um, so that, yeah, that's been since uh, ARKit uh, 1.5. Um, so it can detect horizontal surfaces and vertical surfaces. It's actually doing it much faster than before as well. Um, the, the performance has been increased significantly since um, 1.5 to 2 uh, for detecting uh, surfaces. Um, some other cool things that they, they've added uh, as well is um, image tracking and um, or image recognition. So if you think about a movie poster or a, a painting, you can actually now overlay augmented reality content over those posters. One of the new features that they've added uh, in 2.0 now is um, image tracking, which means before you had to keep the image static, you're not allowed to move it. Now you can pick that image up and you can move it around. So you can you know, put stuff on playing cards, for example, that, that moves around on a table and things like that. So a, a very cool addition to tracking capabilities. Another cool feature that they've added um, now is 3D object track, uh, recognition, sorry, not tracking. So that's just the first step. So now you can go and scan your own 3D objects like figurines, for example. So if you've got cool figurines, you can scan that figurine in and it will recognize that figurine and you'll be able to add augmented reality content to that figurine or even overlay it. I think the example they gave was you could basically uh, scan some things at a museum yeah, yeah. Uh, to get the shape of them and then basically people could tour through the museum with an app and get more information as they see that object. Exactly. So currently the limitation is it's static, right? It's not, not allowed to move that object. It must stand static in the environment. Yeah. So I would assume that they will eventually bring in object tracking where you can actually pick up the object and move it around. And I think the last really big ticket item that popped up for AR Kit now is uh, networking the AR environment so that multiple users can be sharing? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit in two minds about this one. So one of the cool new features, and this is really a cool feature, is the world map. Um, the world map is something that they've brought in now where you can go and scan an area and it will build up all the detected surfaces and it will store that in a, a world map. You can then go and save that world map to your local file system and the next time when you get to that same location, you can actually load up that world map and um, it will then do a quick uh, recognition internally and it will realize that, ah, oh, listen, I know this, this looks familiar because I've already got this world map and it will automatically load up that world map and orientate everything according to that um, scene and you don't have to go and scan the whole area again to physically understand that uh, environment. So that's a very cool feature. Now with this world map, they've added two things. You can now create persistence across multiple AR sessions. So what that means is you can place a virtual cup on your table. You can um, save your world map. It's got that cup saved into the world map. You can come back tomorrow, open up the application. It will re-recognize your, your desk and it will load up that world map and your cup will still stand on top of the table. So that's kind of the persistence that world map now gives you. The next part of world map, which is <coughs> still a bit um, misleading, is you can 
can take that world map file and you can share that with another user and they'll be able to load up that world map file and they'll be able to recognize your table in the same fashion as your device would have recognized that uh, table. Uh, it will recognize various feature points and it will automatically align the world map with that scene without um, that user having to scan the entire table, for example. So now you've got sort of a shared environment between the two devices where they can basically have content that um, could be shared. Now, the, the actual sharing part is you need to create your very own net network connection between the two devices or your application needs to do that. And you need to manage everything that you move in the one scene, you need to move it in the other scene via the network. So you're still responsible as a developer, you need to manage that um, on your own. So it's not something that's provided out of the box for you by ARKit. So as you start rolling into using ARKit, can you give me an idea of any gotchas or anything conceptually where you want your head to be before you start trying to tackle this? It's actually very straightforward. You load up that uh, template from Xcode and you're basically up and running. It's really, really easy to, to do that. The, the thing that you just need to get your mind around is that ARKit has got nothing to do with graphics. Okay, you need to bring that graphics and the, the animations and all of that has to come from um, a graphics API. And, and that's the only, the only gotcha that, that um, most people will have a misconception about when they come into the ARKit world is, um, oh yeah, well, ARKit is fantastic, but <laughs> when, when you look under the bonnet, it, it just does tracking. It doesn't do the graphics. Yeah, I, I know that uh, when I tried working with it, I actually, without actually putting graphics in, I put a whole bunch of, you know, as, as caveman coding as I could, I just put in general logging so I could see what was going on. And yeah, it's pretty much just, just getting like feedback of pointing this way or tracking this. Yeah. Yeah. Or not enough light in the room. That, that was a fairly popular one. <laughs> yeah, so so that's part of the framework itself. It will try and guide the user to to the best possible scenario. So the user might be shaking the phone too much and ARKit will flip out and it will say, uh, please fix this. This is um, too excessive uh, motion for me to actually do any tracking. So relax, <laughs> get a stable arm, focus on the scene. So yes, it's got all of those things built in for you. And um, the, the book ex uh, itself actually goes into how to manage uh, the, it's it's called a session to, to manage all the various exceptions and errors that may occur. Chris, Tammy, Murata, I am really, I, I, I love the fact that we, we've really focused down to the fact that a lot of people think ARKit is the gaming and, and everything else, and it's really the simplicity of locking into the environment and getting all of that pushed together. And that's a lot of really good information. And, I, and the way it's explained, the actual programming of ARKit itself is not the difficult part, if I'm getting that correct. Yeah, you've, you've got that correct. In the next section, we'll have Tammy talking more about the facial recognition side of ARKit, which, which Tammy has pointed out is the working half of AR kit. We'll be back in a moment with the second half of the show, but first, a word from our sponsor, thanks to Instabug. The Right Wonder Lick.com podcast will be right back. 
But first, a message from our sponsor. This week's episode is sponsored by Instabug. And I am thrilled because I have to tell you, I use Instabug in every one of my projects. I love this thing. It's ridiculously easy to use. I know. It's so awesome. You, you get it set up in like two seconds. For developing purposes, it's great because all of my testers can have that ability to say, I didn't just have a problem, but I had the problem mm-hmm. here in the app. You shake your phone and then you can take a screenshot. They can draw on it. They can circle where the bug is and then just send it in an email. So you've got reproducibility. Being able to draw on it and say, this doesn't look right or even make suggestions. And it is. It's, it's as simple as just setting it up to shake the phone. Obviously, you can change that hook into something else if you want to trigger it with a button. Mm-hmm. Just installing it. One line. One line and Instabug does all the defaults for you. But it's not just the interaction for the user. It's the information you get. It automatically includes your device details, network logs, view hierarchy inspection, and visual reproduction steps to recreate it. And you get a complete stack trace when there's a crash. Mm -hmm. I can say that I use it in my apps, but I have seen this in Facebook, eBay, Lyft. Google Maps, I think, uses it. Obviously, they're sponsoring the episode. Oh, yeah. Which is great because this way we can give a discount to our listeners. You can start it for free. You don't need to pay any money to use it and see what it does. But if you want to Mm -hmm. buy it and get the added features as a sponsor for the show, they're giving us 20% off any of the plans. If you want to get a plan, you can go to instabug.com slash Ray and use a discount code RayPodcast, all one word. 20% off all the plans. And thank you to Instabug for sponsoring this episode. And again, a very special thanks to Instabug for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. So we're back with Section 2, and we threatened and we will follow through. Tammy is going to talk about facial recognition, which you've already termed the working part of ARKit. I'm curious, why did you put it that way? Because with the face tracking, there's less that you need to worry about, right? With When, when you're trying to create an entire AR experience, whether it be with the new 2.0 where you can share with other people or just your own experience out there, there's a lot that you have to consider. There's walls, there's dogs, there's cats, there's chickens. Maybe this is just stuff I have to deal with, but still, (laughs) nonetheless, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's out there when you flip that camera around. Now, I have to tell you, I cannot stand taking selfies. I cannot stand looking at myself. I don't like the camera pointing in my direction. And yet I was tasked with doing this whole face tracking thing <laughs> for the book. And it was it was sort of somewhat random because I was just the final pass editor on that book. And, you know, this whole face tracking thing came up and they're like, hey, can you write these chapters? Sure, why not? And the first thing that I immediately noticed was the stability of face tracking versus like world tracking. Again, because you're just dealing with that one anchor. When, when you step back and you look at what exactly is in the face tracking portion of ARKit. Now, ARKit in itself is a very small framework. And what I mean by that is there's not a lot of moving parts that you need to be aware of. Because a lot of the heavy lifting is done by the framework, but you mm-hmm. just call it like you don't have to really understand it's kind of like when I do math I don't need to know how it works I just know that 
one plus one is two. I, I don't necessarily need to know how you're finding the line on the floor, but you can tell me that line has now moved slightly. And all I have to do is listen for that information. Exactly. That, and that's it. And, and when I first started looking at it, I'm like, well, there's not a lot to it. And with the face tracking, I mean, there's only what there's, you've got your configuration, your anchor, which is your face. And that's, it goes back to, you know, when you're dealing with the world, you've got all these different anchors, but with, with the face stuff, it's just your face anchor. Um, you've got blend shapes, which is how, you know, when you're sticking your tongue out, which is something that they added in 2.0. Yeah, that was a big hot thing at uh, WWDC. <laughs> Can you tell us why adding the tongue is so impressive that it warranted its own section of WWDC? Here's the thing with the way that the face tracking works is you get your anchor for your face, you then throw some geometry on top of it, and you can put, you know, like Chris had mentioned before, I don't care what graphics engine you're using. In this case, you probably would use like a, a scene kit for that because your face is three-dimensional or Unity. Um, Chris, I don't know, does Unity work with the face tracking? I didn't. I haven't played with Unity with the AR kit. Do you know if yeah that... yeah there's a whole um, ARKit um, plugin for Unity that actually they released it on day zero uh, the updates for ARKit but it works with the face yeah it's got the face tracking and stuff in it as well oh cool see something I didn't know now it wasn't just the tongue right they also put in uh, if I remember correctly more gazing yeah so with with prior to 2.0 you had like something like 50 blend shapes and the blend shapes is what you use in order to track what the face is doing like if i were to put my eyebrows up there's a blend shape so with the blend shapes you can track things like that and with 2.0 they i don't exactly know how many they added but i know they added the tongue thing and i know that they don't specifically count these as blend shapes but they they're tracking your gaze better so you're able to do a left gaze, a right gaze, and a, I guess it's like a straight gaze where it can figure out what you're focusing on, what your focal point is. So those things are really cool. But to answer your question, why is the tongue thing so important? Because there's nothing cooler than picking up your phone, looking at it, flipping the camera over, throwing a pig face on there, and sticking your tongue out. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want to do that? I guess we always have to separate that the, the WWDC keynote is really not for developers. It's it's to say we, we found people who thought it'd be really cool if we could do this. I guess what I was asking about the tongue is, does this mean that when AR kit, when you're looking at your face, that there are internal muscles inside of this face? Or is it just it waits for something and creates a tongue? Are there tongue mesh points? inside is it more 3d uh or is it really just um just fun it's really kind of interesting if you take you you know you were talking about the debugging before scene kit debugging if you go through the debugger when you're running this ar kit session when you're doing face tracking really interesting is you can explode that view and you can grab that face geometry and it, it Again, the framework is building that geometry. You don't have to build it. You just make a call to grab that face geometry. It returns it to you. You do nothing. And then you take that geometry and you throw your 3D content on top of it, right? And it's basically the mesh. So I don't know the inner workings and how all that, how Apple is handling all that or, or what face tracking it's doing 
from a muscle perspective, you know, anatomy, when you put that geometry on there and then you go into that debugger, it's absolutely a 3D space and you can watch it move and do what it's supposed to do. And the interesting point is, you know, we're talking about creating this 3D content, whether it be, you know, a 3D box that you're going to throw into your environment or a face mask that you're going to use in face tracking. You want to use Blender or Substance Painter or something like that to create that content and color that content. But where do you start? And that was one of the things that I was struggling with when I was coming up with this content. It's, I got to practice something here and figure this out. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time creating these assets. And how would I even create a 3D mask asset? It turns out that if you use the debugger, you can pull that geometry out as a PNG and as a model and use that to create your, you could pull it right into substance. And, and that's exactly what we did. We pulled it into substance painter and painted right on that object model that you could get from the debugger. Now, of course we had Luke handle it from there and do really cool stuff with it. But that's, if you're trying to get started, that's how you can get started. So, so let me get some clarification. We talk about the geometry. Are we talking about the 3D point difference between, say, the tip of the nose and the chin? Are we saying that the eye has moved up or down? Let's let's talk about the type of geometry you're, you're getting. Are you getting space between eyes or eyes space to nose? Or is it a different kind of information that you're getting? It's it's getting your entire face. It's, it's putting your entire... It, it, I don't, again, I don't know how it does it. It maybe with the true depth, depth camera or something. I have no idea how it grabs that geometry. It's math for one, right? So I'm not going <laughs> right. to figure it out. But you, it returns that geometry to you. And then, like I said, you can throw your content on top of that. And you can make it look like anything you want, right? right. But even more than that, that's that. That kind of thing is if you want it to mask to your face and like really follow your form, you can just grab the anchor and kind of ignore that geometry and throw 3D content on top of that. And you can use occlusion maps and things like that. So there's this exercise that we have in the book where we put on glasses, right? So you've got your nose. If you're like me and you have a big giant Italian Irish nose, it sticks out pretty far. So when you put that content on it, you need to be able to have it mesh into the world so it looks realistic. So you have to like make sure that you have the occlusion map set up so that it would set back between your eyes. You have to set your positions. Otherwise, you're just going to have this random pair of glasses like out here. Y'all can't see me. I'm talking with my hands. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's it's a concept that the the glasses themselves are not sitting all the way down to the tip of your nose. They're not sitting all the way to the to the actual uh, top of the nose. There's going to be some space down, but that also is connected to a pair of lenses that sit X space in front of the eyes, but, yeah, but not you've all got the way depth to the tip too. of the nose. You've right. got to worry about the depth too. Now we talked about the, the the true camera. Does that mean that at this point the facial recognition is limited to the iPhone 10? Yeah, at, at this time it is. You you only like you can't flip around the eight and have something like that work. It's just not it's, it's not possible. So I had a question uh, regarding this. Um, I attended a talk by Alexis Gallagher. Uh, he's also part of our Ravender Lake team uh, at Allcom. And he gave a talk on how he covered up the dot projector on the iPhone 10, and it was still able to give him the 
Tweety face mesh. Uh, do you know anything about that? Uh, he claims that the depth sensor is not needed for showing that mesh or tracking it. Yeah, I saw you put out that tweet and I was curious about that because I'm like, wait a second. I thought I read the documentation on the Apple site and was like that it it absolutely required that. And I the more I read it, the more confused I got. And I don't really know the answer to that. Like from what I originally read, you absolutely needed it. Then I saw your tweet and I went back and I reread the documentation and it's still a little unclear to me because it 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 sounded almost like you could use it for certain things, but you have limited capabilities if you don't have the true depth. Now, I know when I tried to run the face tracking stuff on on the iPhone 8, couldn't do it. I just it wasn't working for me. So I was really intrigued when he sent that tweet out. And if I had more time, I would go track him down and find out exactly what he meant. I also saw a, a video on YouTube of somebody actually using a night camera in slow motion to watch the dots projected from the camera. And it was just fascinating to watch the dots grid on a face in slow motion. I'll see if I can find that link again, because it's just really fascinating to watch how how the camera actually does the projection and reading of those dots on a mesh, because effectively what you are doing is you're being turned into a, a mocap actor for a split second. It's it's putting the, the dots on your face, it's scanning the dots as a grid and, and figuring the dimensions from that, if, if my understanding is correct. When you look at it, that's kind of what it looks like to me. Like, again, I don't know the inner workings of it. I don't know how the camera works to generate that face geometry or that mesh. I just know that if I make this call, it's going to return it back to me. And then I'm going to use it, that mesh, to do whatever I want. You know, put a put a scene kit content on there. Put, you could even put sprite, con or sprite kit content on there. It's just... You don't have to know all the gory details in order to play with the framework. And that if you're getting anything from this podcast, that's the thing I want you to get. That don't think you have to know the entire framework. Don't think that you have to know every little API call or every little setting or what it does. Get in there and play with it. See what it does. I can't tell you how many times I went to throw a face mask on and I was like, oh, well, that's not supposed to be like that. And when Apple releases these new things, they don't really give that best demonstration of them, how to use them. I mean, they give a great demonstration as to what they can do. But when you sit there and you watch the WWDC videos, you're like, well, that's nice. That's a completely non-coupled to anything example of how that particular call works. It's like, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? You know, and when we're on the bleeding edge of technology, and we're trying to write these books to figure these things out, or create these tutorials, or just for our own personal knowledge on how this stuff works. I used to be intimidated by that. I'd be like, no, you know, Marina just asked me a question about the depth camera. And I could be like, oh, yeah, well, no, I have no idea how it works. I just know that, you know, Throw these things at it and it'll return back to you and then go with it from there. Just play with it till it does what you want it to do. It, it is interesting that the two big pushes from last year and this year with ARKit and CoreML, you're dealing with two very powerful, very deep frameworks that basically are almost Lego bricks in simplicity of use. 
And it's rather interesting that they were able to make such a, for lack of a better term, a thin API. But there seems to be that little hole between, okay, so here's what it does and here's how you use it. Now you got to like fill in a little bit of a mental hole. And that's where that jump tends to be. And that's one of the reasons, again, that the book is really helpful. It's all about deconstructing the frameworks and deconstructing the APIs. The sample code that Apple gives is great. I just need to go on record saying that. It's epically written. Everything you ever wanted to know about anything, about any framework, you could find in the sample code. But it's difficult to get at it because it's so massive. It's so big. It's so interconnected. And it's difficult to pull it apart. And that's where you need to start. You need to start by pulling it apart, looking at it individual basis, and see what it does. Like with the geometry it's, I think it's like one call and you get the geometry. And then you, Chris was talking about it before. There's the AR session that you have to manage and you can get the information that you need from that. And then you work with that information. You don't necessarily need to know, well, how does it know that, you know, there's a banana on the table and it should reflect it. I don't really care how it knows that. I just need to know that if I do this thing, if I set this setting in the configuration, the AR session configuration or the world tracking configuration or whatever configuration it is, if I set that setting, I can get a reflection. Boom. That's all I care about as a developer. That, and like I said earlier, managing expectations of our users. Okay, Tammy, eyes are on you with the topic. How is facial recognition and what do you see facial recognition getting in the future? I'm assuming, I'm just going to steal one away from you. I'm assuming more points of reference. I think more points of reference, definitely more blend shapes. I'm trying to think of where you could go from here. I mean, yeah, you can do more things with it, but like what more can you add to it? that you can't there's so much you can do with it ear tracking ear tracking (laughs) ear tracking yeah i think that was one of the 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 limitations is to know exactly where the person's ear sits uh currently just does the face so if you want to put uh sunglasses on top of the person's face properly you have to know where the ear sits so that's a tall order How are you going to grab somebody's ears if it's under a hat? <laughs> or a beard. Or headphones. Oh, yeah. yeah, as as I had mentioned earlier, I, I love the, the Animoji, but I, I have this huge beard, and it cannot track my mouth very well. And it's not that I have hair covering my mouth, but the hair itself throws the 3D read on the shape of my face. So so there there obviously is some some steps still. I mean, admittedly, now they've got the... Uh, the new ones, and well, they can't match my face anyway because I have too much beard. Is there anything built into the facial recognition software that can determine emotions, or would you have to bring in a computer learning uh, API from outside? Well, now with their Create ML, you could probably do some training. That's true. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it, I don't know if it was this RW DevCon or the one before the year before, he did a whole session on being able to determine whether or not you're happy or sad looking at your face. You can see the direction that Apple's going in with with vision and core ML and the augmented reality and metal. I mean, they put so much into metal this year. And Chris and I have gone back and forth between, you know, Sprite Kit, Unity and Scene Kit. And Chris is all about Unity these days, but I'm still a 
firm holding on to spry kit and scene kit only because of the stuff that they've done with metal. Like I see, I can see what Apple's doing. I hope I'm right. Apple is building this, this platform, this, this, this basis of everything. And it starts with, with uh, metal. It builds up. They're trying to bring humans into that virtual reality, that augmented reality. This is just amazing stuff. I, I, it's so hard to do this show every other week because two weeks ago I do a show on Kotlin and I walked away going, I want to work on Kotlin. Now I got to put the Kotlin book down because I want to pick up the AR book and work on that. And that's easier for me because I do iOS. It's not as big a jump. Tammy, Chris, Namrata, this is some great stuff. I want to thank all of you guys for coming out for this show, especially Chris, um, who is in South Africa and we're recording this. I think we started at about 1230 in the morning his time and and it, it it's great to have people be able to come in and do this. And I hope everybody gets a chance to to get a, a look at ARKit by Tutorial because there's just so much information that makes it so much easier to understand this. Guys, thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for being here. And that's going to basically bring us toward the end of Episode 2 for Season 8. Again, we really want to thank our sponsor, Instabug, for helping us bring this show to you. We'll be back in two weeks. Again, we always try to have the show on every other Monday. Holidays sometimes intervene, but I think that begins to close things up for Jay and myself. We throw things back to the Emerald Castle. Back to you, Ray. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendell.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time. <laughs>